Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Legendarium Podcast. This is part six of our Silmarillion read-along, covering chapters 16 through 18. As a reminder, we have a total of 11 sections scheduled, covering an average of 25 pages each, give or take. The purpose of this read-along is not to turn any of us into a Tolkien scholar, but simply to have some fun with a notoriously difficult book and hopefully glean some of its lessons along the way. If you're not subscribed to the show, you can do so at thelegendarium.com, where you can also check out Discord and uh, Patreon and all of our other, you know, the archives and all that stuff. Uh, So, thelegendarium.com, please go check it out. I am your host, Craig Hanks, and with me over there, I think I'll nickname him the Ruin of Beleriand, it's Ryan Bruckman. Yes, Ruinous. I take it. That's weird. Uh, and if he ever tries to get into my hidden city, it's the death penalty for sure. It's Kyle Lemon. Maybe that's what I want. If I were in there, I would definitely want to die. Uh, all right. You so, got past the girdle. You're in the hidden city. There's probably. <laughs> Hashtag Craig's hidden city. Please make it trend. Wow. Yeah, luckily, luckily, we're not that active on Twitter, so I don't think that's going to be a thing, but I'm sure... I think we could get maybe like a Discord channel that we could we build up, just Craig's Hidden City, Craig's and hidden then city. all kinds, anything goes in that channel. <laughs> the death Kip penalty Tan, get is... on it, please. Oh, boy. Craig's Hidden City. All right, well, with that, let's go ahead and recap this section. I was going to ask you guys very politely about how you liked your reading so far, etc., but no, I'm just going to leave you in the dust. We're going to recap it, and then I'll consider talking to you again. Uh, all right. In Chapter 16, Aravel, a princess of the Noldor, is getting restless in the hidden city of Gondolin. She gets per- in the hashtag hidden city of Gondolin. She gets permission to leave, is then ensnared and married by Eil, the dark elf of Nan Elmoth. They have a son, Maeglin, and one day he and his mother run away from Eol and make their way to the Hidden City. She enters without knowing that Eol followed them there. He tries, uh, once in the city, he tries to kill his own son, succeeds only in killing his wife, and then is himself killed. Uh, So, Maeglin is now alone in Gondolin and, to top it all off, in love with his own cousin. Hot stuff. All right. In chapter 17, men arrive in Beleriand. They awoke sometime back in the east. Uh, and Morgoth even went out there to do his evil bad guy stuff to them for a while. But three houses of men cross the Blue Mountains in search of the rumors that they've heard of light and gods in the west. Instead, they find elves locked in eternal war with the scariest of those gods. Whoops. But it's not all bad, of course. They also learn a lot from the elves and plant the seeds of future human greatness. Much more on this to come in future chapters. Then, in chapter 18, all hell breaks loose. Literally. Morgoth, who has been besieged for almost 400 years, sends out his orcs, his balrogs, his dragon, and his effing volcano and lays waste to uh, to the Noldor and their allies. Their defenses are broken, the various kingdoms are divided, and things are looking pretty bleak. Is this the beginning of the end for the Noldor? Dun-dun-dun. Yeah, just kidding. Spoiler Feels alert. Like it. Yes, it is. Yeah. And we know that because <laughs> it says so several times in the text. So, yeah. Uh, this, is, this is the beginning of the end and kind of... Uh, what we were saying last time about how it's this is the interesting stuff. It's not interesting to just watch a person or a people happy and you mm-hmm. know joyful all the time and you know like nothing is happening and so that's not a fun story. And so now you'll notice that we still have half the dang book left to go, uh, and it's the time is going to be much compressed compared to what we have seen in previous chapters because things start happening 
And, you know, it's that downfall of the Noldor that is the most interesting part of the story, I think. So, in large measure. Uh, anyway, all right, guys. Um, let me ask you a question uh, in the form of a comment from Meg on Discord, who says, Just finished the Meiglin chapter. My favorite so far. A good story, very readable. For the first time, I didn't feel like I had to read a chapter summary. I pretty much understood and followed all of it. So I was curious, uh, based on that, how your experience was with uh, Meiglin, chapter 16, and, you know, whether it felt a little more like a story than some of the history stuff that we've gone through so far. Yes. Yes, it did. Uh, and actually, I ended up, when we were doing the last sequence, uh, again, I was doing audiobook setup, and it was, I ended up spilling over into Of Meiglin, and mm. I, it caught my attention a lot more after I had been in the days and fog of the prior stuff. So I was like, oh, that's a really cool story. And so when we, I actually focused and said, this is the portion we're reading, uh, yeah, it was easier to follow. I still went, I'm kind of, I've got a process now where I go to the chapter summaries first mm. to try and give myself a better chance at understanding. Um, I feel like just for me that that's been a better way to go about it. But I don't feel like I would have needed to do that as much. Um, this story is a little more of a micro story. It's You get to go in a little bit more versus the... 10,000 foot view. Um, but I, I enjoyed it a lot more than uh, some of the other ones we've done. Right. Speaking of the 10,000 foot view, at some point we're going to bring up the eagles, right? A lot of yeah. eagles in these chapters. Uh, Kyle, what about you? How did this section go for you? Especially the Meiglin chapter. Let's start with that one. Yeah, I was actually pretty surprised. Like to Ryan's point as well, it was a stark contrast from the previous chapters and, and frankly the rest of the book where it was like, this could almost be lifted out as a short story of its own you right. know i mean you have all that history and backstory to build up to this but you could just take that chapter read just that chapter and be pretty like ha have a pretty good understanding of like right wow this is a a crazy short story you know it, yeah I, no i think you're right Th there's not a great ending to it no. uh, because the story of Meiglin goes on and right. we're gonna like he'll be back you know, that this it's a thing that'll come up uh, in future chapters um but it's, you know, it's like the first half of a real story, mm -hmm. like you guys are saying. So, yeah, no, I think I'm with you on that. Um, and then we had The Coming of Men. That was uh, chapter 17. Um, and that one was a lot more of kind of what we've been used to. Setting mm -hmm. up like, okay, and then this house, they allied themselves with this Noldoran uh, kingdom. And so they settled here. And then this house went over there. And this person was the son or daughter of this person, et cetera, et cetera. The men came out of the forest. Here's where they went. <laughs> right. Like this. Okay. Yeah. I'm good. And it's, it, there is some really interesting stuff. This is not the same as chapter 14, the, mm -hmm. the map chapter. Uh, but, it, you know, it does have, it's a lot of setup letting you know who these, uh, these houses are and who they're uh, aligned with mm -hmm. so that future stuff will make more sense. Um, but you know, I, I thought there were some really good tidbits in the chapter about the coming of men and, and how, uh, Morgoth goes into the East secretly, you know, he mm -hmm. leaves his stronghold secretly to go find them, um, and kind of does the same, or he's thinking about doing the same thing with, uh, men that he did with elves, you know, tormenting them, and making them terrified of being alive <laughs> in middle mm -hmm. earth, basically. Um, and then he kind of gives up on that. Uh, thinking that oh these these humans are of very little account, who cares? Mm -hmm. You know, let's let's go go back where the real threat is with the elves, um, 
And, you know, so he, he, do, he doesn't give them a, a lot of, you know, Rodney Dangerfield-style respect. Yeah. Well, uh, part of, I mean, I can understand to a certain aspect, you're dealing with, your enemies up to this point have all been in basically immortal creatures. And these things die after, it's like, if, based on time span, it's like a house fly. It's like, <laughs> oh, I guess I could really, I could wipe this out. Or I could just let it die in its time because it's probably not going to bother me for much longer, which ends up being a problem for him because they don't right well and there's also that uh, humans are not <clears throat> excuse me they're not socially politically technologically nearly as advanced as the elves are at this mm-hmm. point uh where it the uh, tolkien makes a point of uh, saying at some point in this chapter that w- they don't even get the concept of a kingdom mm-hmm. they come into middle earth and they see these massive cities and kingdoms that are uh, you know, very hierarchical and organized, uh, you know, and we can assume presumably well run, <laughs> you know, <laughs> by the elves. Um, and, and they're just a bunch of wandering nomadic tribes yeah. at this point. And so they've got a lot to learn. And so, yeah, it's not that surprising that Morgoth would be like, yeah, I think I'm, I'm going to be fine. Yeah, you guys do your thing. I'll worry about them later. Yeah, exactly. Although I did, I was, uh, I did find it interesting that the elves themselves really take note and, and struggle a little bit with the gift of men being their mm. their short lifespan the 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 ability to die basically and i i don't know why but when i read that passage that the elves and because there's one of them and i can't remember the the first uh, bay or the old bay or the old dies at 93 years old mm-hmm. and they're like i don't know how to deal with this he's like what, what's going on and it just caught me off guard that such an advanced race or something wouldn't You've had people die. You've had elves who are killed. You've you killed one in the last chapter. You threw him off a cliff. Like, but they didn't die of old age. But not, yeah, but the dying yeah. of old age. He's like, I don't understand that aspect of it. Uh, it's it was just a, it, it caught my attention there. That was noteworthy, I guess. Yeah, no, I'm a hundred percent with you on that. I actually found it somewhat touching uh, mm-hmm. that that he became such a friend to Finrod Felagund that 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 blow or that death came as a blow to those elves that he had become close to yeah i liked it that would be pretty weird to think about though like because the concept of expiration doesn't exist for elven kind right and so just think about that if you just assumed and you everything you know is infinite all of a sudden something isn't like that's mind-blowing i don't know i just hard to wrap your mind around i'm trying to think like what would the concept be because I, I guess the opposite would be true that for us it would be like to to try to understand the concept of infinity like you would never mm-hmm. never die unless you were killed yeah like i don't There's, and i think it's a probably even a harder transition back the other way i i i, I would say it, it to me it would be similar like my experience of going and living in a third world country there was a culture shock but coming home from a third world country back to it was non culture it was shock a, all over it, again. But it was a bigger culture shock coming back the other way. And I wonder if it would be similar. I, don't, I mean, that's I don't have anything else to add there. Just my brain. No, I, sort I know that exactly out. what you mean. Mm-hmm. Lady Sweden actually asked us um, on Discord, uh, "Would you choose the immortality of the Eldar if you had the chance? Does that seem attractive to you, uh, or?" Are you are you happy with your lot in life slash death? Yes, I think I probably would. Yeah, I think I would. Uh, I it's not so much a fear of death or anything, but that 
I have serious FOMO about the centuries and things after. Mm, as okay. long if it's Mad Max, I'm sure whatever. I'm I'm good. I'm out. <laughs> but I've said this before on the podcast, like the idea that there's going to be things that I'm enjoying now that will continue on past my past when I'm here. Like I'm sad to miss out on those things. Yeah. Like yeah. I, FOMO, keep me alive. Yeah. Until I'm like, no, I've seen it all. You, peace. This place sucks. I'm out. Yeah. It's I I don't have FOMO for the future, but I do have a lot of FOMO for right now. Like I, I just, I really legit want to experience just about everything I can, mm-hmm. you know, within reason. <laughs> I, I'm glad I don't live in, you know, the Ukraine or I, I guess it's just Ukraine right now, you know, for instance, but, yeah. but there's a lot of life out there to be lived and, uh, boy, I would like to live a lot of it, but, but forever is a long time. I know. So, I know. yeah. So I, I think, uh, I we're gonna get to the Numenorians at some point, and you know where they're living for five hundred years. That like sounds that. sweet. I like right. that. I like that compromise. I imagine <laughs> procrastination among elven kind is much worse than among humans. <laughs> <laughs> I just think like because the concept of like you take as long as you uh, as the amount of time that you have Kyle, to do something. Kyle says this as somebody with several direct reports at yeah. work who he has to manage. Well, that's true. If they were elves, it would be your nightmare. Well, I just think yeah, it would be. It definitely would be. No, but I'm just thinking like <laughs> the idea behind purpose and and like building civilization. So like you mentioned that the the men come across and they're like this whole idea of society and hierarchy and stuff like is super foreign to them. But I think once you get down to a certain level, uh, and because they don't live short, long lifespans, I can't remember what the reference is. It's it's a uh, fleeting right now, but. The idea that like you can do so much in in a lifetime and humans do so like maybe it's wheel of time is it is it loyal that talks about that yeah. mm. that humans can do so much with their small life lifespans they're so so hasty because about. they're or he's saying that they're so hasty because they don't have very much time to live but yeah I, I would imagine that that would apply here because if you live forever you have forever to do and accomplish whatever it is that you want to accomplish so is there a sense of urgency to to do it and and progress right. forward. Can you have a life's work if your life has no end? Oh yeah. Okay. I thought <laughs> I thought you were waiting for the crickets. <laughs> Whatever. I've I philosophized on the air. Uh, we okay. can move on. Maybe yeah. Maybe we should move on from Ryan's version of philosophizing. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Philosophize with an F. Yeah. Uh, you guys want to? You guys want a word of the day a little earlier? So Unfriend. Can, correct. I knew it. I knew it was going to be unfriend when I heard it. I thought this was. Uh, I thought this was a fun one. So this came up in chapter seventeen uh, when the humans cross the blue mountains uh, and they're in Osiriand, the the land of the seven rivers, kind of in the east, off uh, right off the blue mountains. Um, so that's the first place that they stop and rest for a while. And uh, Fingolfin meets them there, and or is it? Feligund. I think it's Feligund who, who meets them there, Finrod. Uh, so anyway, so he meets them. He's kind of coaching them through, hey, welcome to Beleriand. I'll be your tour guide. Mm. Uh, but the, the green elves of Osiriand, and yes, listener who asked about green elves, dark elves, light elves. Yeah, we're going to get to that. Um, they're not very happy about this. We don't want these strangers in our lands. Uh, we want them to leave. And let me see if I can actually find the passage. Um it's because it's a great uh, it's a great sentence. These folk are hewers of trees and hunters of beasts. Therefore, we are their unfriends, and if they will not depart, we shall afflict them in all ways that we can. 
Um, and then he uses it again a couple uh, paragraphs later. Um, First came the Haladin, but meeting the unfriendship of the Green Elves, they turned north and dwelt in Thargelion. Um, okay, so unfriend. This is, it's, it's fun. It's kind of similar to tween. Um, we use the word tween all the time now, uh, but that's a Tolkien original. Um, Tolkien made up the word tween. And now we have, uh, you know, unfriending people as a verb on social media. Mm-hmm. Tolkien did it first. Unfriend. <laughs> Except in this case, it's a noun. Um, if you are an unfriend or you meet the unfriendship of certain people. Anyway, so I thought I'd bring this up, one up just to get definitions from you guys. What is an unfriend in this Ooh, context? I would say somebody who's not outwardly hostile to you, but is not welcoming. Okay. Ryan, what you got? That seems like I, I'm along those lines where I don't know, pissed off Switzerland. Like. So like <laughs> the unfriend, <laughs> the unfri- the unfriend to me is like the the guy working the kiosk at the grocery cho- store that's trying to sell you on like AT and T Mobile or something <laughs> as you're walking by, and he's trying to be friendly, and you're not like mean to him but you're also just like i'm good man like you know like there's a wall here so what did what, what was unfriend. the first uh, what was the first definition you gave um i would say no, someone who's it? not outwardly hostile but, but but unwelcoming unwelcoming okay so yeah i think i would take it a step further than that because they did they were threatening said mm-hmm. we are going to make your lives miserable if you mm-hmm. stay here but what they didn't say is we are your enemies because right. you know especially in beleriand at this point um, and in regular, real-world parlance for 99.9% of human history, if someone is your enemy, you're going to kill them, right? That, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a, this is a new thing among humans that we don't immediately kill our enemies, but this is the way it was done for <laughs> many, 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 many years. Um, anyway, so yeah, it's... It, so we're not going to say, yeah, we're your enemy, because if you say somebody is your enemy, that has a very specific connotation but you are not welcome here and we will make your lives miserable we're not going to murder you but you're not going to like being here so like hr (laughs) (laughs) welcome to the land of passive aggressive oh boy all right so um what do you guys want to bring up what do you have to talk about before we get to listener questions um we'll we'll give our we'll give we'll give ourselves a few minutes before we get to the listener stuff um yeah what do you guys want to bring up is there a... I have a question first off okay. here. I don't remember a lot of history of Aeolf before we get into of, May, of Maglin, but he seems like, like... I was like, I don't remember this guy much, but mm. he seems like a bad guy. Like, his response to his wife and son taking off. I mean, like, I, is there a history that I have just not caught that introduced that character to me earlier? Uh, okay, so, so your question is... Say it again. A, um, is there any information that I missed prior that gives me a point of reference for Ale? Right. No. Oh, okay. Nope. This is the first we've heard of him. Um, as far as I can remember, I guess. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm pretty sure this is the first we've heard of him. Uh, so, yeah. Ale is, uh, it's stated that he is a kinsman of Thingol, mm-hmm. um, i.e. of Thingol and Melian, the king of of, uh, but he like kind of goes rogue and he doesn't want anything to do with the elves anyways, right? He's just like, I'm an elf, but y'all suck. 
<laughs> right. He doesn't. Yeah. He doesn't like living in Doriath. Uh, he. Yeah. He doesn't like being in Thingol's court. Whatever. So yeah, he An takes elf off. That prefers the dwarven, the company of dwarves. Right. And becomes a sweet smith. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Makes mm-hmm. a sweet mm-hmm. sword. Um, Can he make the crystal sword. Uh, he. We. We're gonna get. So. Aeol, I, by the end of this things? chapter, no, no, not at all. By the end of this chapter, Aeol is dead, but we're mm-hmm. not done with him. But he's so. also kind of an a-hole, right? <laughs> Aeol the a-hole? Yeah, kind of. Because doesn't he... So he marries Aeradel. So when you see but, a D-H, okay, so so a T is a, uh, is a hard D, right? Or a D is a soft T. Same thing with D-H and T-H. So when you see a DH, you just do a soft th. Okay. So, Aradel. Aradel. Yep. Okay. But he marries her, mm-hmm. but she doesn't necessarily want to marry him. So, yeah, this gets a little ambiguous in the text because um, I had that same question. Well, what, what's what's going on here? Obviously, there are false pretenses involved. Um, he kind of lures her to his household, um, but it's not stated that he you know violently kidnaps her and forces her against her will to do this uh so he does marry her but definitely uh so yeah even though it's not physically violent or right in any way it's still kind of uh like if if beauty and the beast bell never (laughs) fell in love with the beast and they just got stuck that way forever that's kind of their relationship sure yeah okay yeah, now we're now we're speaking Ryan's language. <laughs> I've got this. A depressed Lumiere and Cogsworth for the rest of the setup. We're good. Who? Which one are you? You're Cogsworth, right? No, 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 no. I'm Lumiere, absolutely. Right. Because you're just that suave. It has nothing to do with suave. No, he just likes to <laughs> sing with his dishes. <laughs> um, okay, so yeah, it, it's a good question. So yeah, we don't have a ton of information about him before. We have a little bit now. We don't need all that much right. uh, we need to know where Myglin came from um, and kind of why he is the way he is um, I, I actually find the kind of an emo dad and like a like a I don't know <laughs> right sporty right. I don't know sporty uh, no, no I just sporty all I'm gonna mind. do is see Myglin as this emo guy with like this half <laughs> hair thing over one eye like <laughs> dad I just can't I can't deal with this I'm not going back with you um, so I'll, I'll tell you one thing that uh, that struck me because I'm just ignoring whatever you just said. <laughs> uh, one thing that struck me on this read through is Thingol. I freaking hate this guy. Okay, I don't know about hate, but in previous read throughs, I haven't had that much of a reaction to the character of Thingol. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, we haven't had a lot of like up close and personal time with Thingol. We just kind of get his pronouncements as king, uh, you know, up to this point. And when when men come into Beleriand over the Blue Mountains, Thingol hears about it. He's issuing edicts again. You know, hey, I'm the I'm the Lord of Beleriand. Uh, you know, all like all your base are belong to us, and here's where you can settle. And he he kind of <laughs> he tells them, yeah, you humans, you can settle in the north, but everything everything south of you know, like me basically is closed off to you. Don't. Don't even think about it. And then as you keep reading in that chapter, you get a little more context um, where he says, so let's see, the leaders of discontent among the houses of men 
They're saying, uh, you know, we came here in search of the gods. There are no gods here except the evil one that's trying to kill all of us. Great. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Thither we cannot come where the gods dwell in, in bliss. And uh, let's see, save one, for the Lord of the Dark is here before us, and the Eldar, wise but fell, who make endless war upon him. In the north he dwells, they say, and there is the pain, and there is the pain and death from which we fled. We will not go that way. And that's so you get this little extra context where Thingle is like, Yeah, sure, you can settle in the north if you want. And they're like, Thanks, man. We are not going to be a human shield for you elves. Yeah, exactly. Put us between you and your angry god up there who's doing something. I hear the clanging of the mines going on. Like, there's something (laughs) going on there. Anyway, so, you know, little things like that. I think there was one other thing in these chapters I can't remember off the top of my head, but definitely that was one where I was like, this guy is, uh, he's a a jerk. Dingle's the same one who declared that only Elvish would be so only... Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so he is... So we have Fingolfin, who is the uh, High King of the Noldor. So, uh, yeah, so we've got him. And then Thingol, who calls himself King of the Sindar. Uh, and he has proclaimed himself in earlier chapters as the Lord of Middle-earth. This, this is all mine... You're here and I can't kill you, so you know I'm not going to try. But if I could, <laughs> and this, know, this is my land. The Sindar are the ones that stayed, and the Noldor are the re- ones who returned. Right. So he's kind of trying to be like, no, I stayed and I took care of this land. You guys came back. I'm. He's got. He's got some issues. Yeah, I, I and can see. I, I, I like. I, I'm trying to. I'm trying to be as kind to him as possible and trying to understand why he is the way he is. But he's just. It's just not. His actions don't really make, make that easy. No, yeah. It makes sense from a leadership perspective, like you say. There, there mm-hmm. is a charitable interpretation. Hey, you know, we were sitting pretty and then these massive hordes of Noldor showed up and decided that uh, that they were our lords. Well, F you guys. Mm-hmm. This is not okay. Like I, I get that from a, you know, like a sociopolitical perspective. This is not, yeah. <laughs> this is not welcome news for him. But at the same time, it's how do you deal with that news? How are you going to to go about things? And he is very uh, uncharitable, shall we say. Unfriendly. Unfriendly. Hey, nice. He is an unfriend to the Noldor. Ryan, is that two episodes in a row? With a mic drop? Well, yeah, sure. We'll go with that. (laughs) Um, Anyway, okay, cool. So, Kyle, did you have anything that you wanted to bring up? Any notes? From these um, chapters? Well, I did love chapter 18 and just the epicness of, oh of the baddies coming out. Um, oh, that's right. The passage I, that yeah. you brought up already before we started recording. Let me find it because okay. I lost it. This is, but, so yeah, So chapter 18 is the, me, it's the war uh, where in my recap I was talking about, you know, the, the volcano and the mm-hmm. dragon and the balrogs and the orcs and all that stuff. Uh, but that doesn't quite do it justice. Kyle, did you find it? Got it. Got it. So, in the front of that fire came Glaurung the Golden, father of dragons, in his full might. And in his train were Balrogs. I hate And you, behind right? them came the black armies of the orcs in multitudes, such as the Noldor had never seen before or imagined. And that just, I read that and I was just like, dang. That's freaky. Like, could um, you imagine seeing that force coming out? Like, 
first of all, Balrogs are scary enough, but then you got a dragon in front of them and you've got the volcano going on in the background and just like hordes and hordes of, of orcs. And, and also like orcs, they're not entirely new at this point, but they're still, I mean, I don't know, maybe we've jumped timelines, but I got to imagine they're still relatively new of just like, these things are freaky. Yeah. You know? And I, let me add to that passage you read, the part that comes just before that. Yeah. Uh, then suddenly Morgoth sent forth great rivers of flame that ran down swifter than Balrogs from Thangorodrim and poured over all the plain, and the mountains of iron belched forth fires of many poisonous hues, and the fume of them stank upon the air and was deadly. And it, it kind of goes on describing this volcanic eruption. It, you know, and it's uh, kind of similar to when you read about M Mount Doom erupting at the end of Return of the King. Mm -hmm. um, the way that he describes the volcanic eruption using epic, archaic language Rather than saying, you know, like kind of clinically telling you about how a volcano exploded, it's yeah. it's much okay. more so, mythological. And so, I've been in close proximity to a major volcanic eruption. Really, and it is the freakiest thing ever. So I was in Guatemala, and uh, El Agua, the the one of the volcanoes that's right there by Guatemala City, erupted, and it it didn't like do anything like it didn't have like super super damage but it, it sent a bunch of lava down and and it had uh like a huge ash cloud mm -hmm. and the thing that was the freakiest around it one you get kind of the like the, the earthquake tremors. tremors and it wasn't like it was it was shaking but it wasn't like full-on earthquake it wasn't dante's right? peak no not quite <laughs> so you get that but the freakiest thing about it is it was probably two o'clock in the afternoon or something like that. And you get giant ash cloud and then it's just dark. So it's like midday, but it's just dark and there, there are no, so I, I was kind of, kind of the Northern part of the city kind of out towards, so you mm -hmm. can like, there are no birds that make any sound. They're like, just sound just stops. And the other thing you don't realize when a volcano erupts is there's so much static electricity in the air that you get just, crazy crazy lightning so imagine just like all of that with balrogs and you've got and a dragon and a dragon and, and you've just got like lightning crashing and just one of the craziest things i've ever seen was it was like probably six or seven lightning bolts that all came into one and just hit the top of the volcano oh my god and it was just it was like purple lightning just and the freakiest thing ever and then you just got ash raining down like snow so it's basically just picture like black snow mm. and that's what it is. It's, mm -hmm. it's wild. Amazing there. You know, you bringing up the, uh, the quiet mm -hmm. actually, I had a question about that and I, I wasn't going to bring this up on the show. I just, it caught my attention that in this chapter, it's described that where Morgoth's realm is extending, it's quiet. And it's kind of one of those things like uh, darkness. We, we, uh, we have, uh, culturally lots of different ideas about darkness and some of them are scary mm -hmm. and some of them are comforting you know like the you, this, you can you can be wrapped in a blanket of, of darkness and you know like nighttime can be very soothing and you know restful um and similarly quiet we, we so often hear of quiet as this ah oh, you know uh, stillness i'm relaxing i'm seeking quiet you, you know, mm -hmm. getting away from the noise, the hustle and bustle of our day to day, whatever. 
Uh, but in this case, Tolkien talks about quiet in this menacing tone. And it caught my attention, and I, I didn't really know quite what to make of it. I, I figured, I'll just think about it later. But here you come with this, Kyle. That's really, really interesting that it's that, that death and destru- destruction isn't just about the elves. Mm-hmm. It's about everything. Everything. Everything around it. I mean, it just there's this deafening stillness that's almost as scary if not scarier than like just the chaos that's happening right. around you mm-hmm. right and and it, in in contrast to like the deep rumbling sound of of like obviously the buildup and, mm. and the earthquake and then it's just like quiet yeah quietest i've ever the quietest thing i've ever experienced here's your legendary tangent for you as if we weren't already on a pretty major one uh was when sarah and i spent a night uh, camped on the back of a pickup truck in the middle of the salt flats mm. here in Utah. And of course, there's salt flats. It's just salt as far as the eye can see. Uh, nothing can live there. There's no birds. There's no bugs. There's no plants. There's no nothing. Just the wind. Uh, that is the quietest thing I've ever heard in my life. Uh, and in that case, it was not very menacing. because <laughs> You know, it's the salt flats. Um, but yeah, I can imagine how that would be terrifying. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Uh, anything else? Uh, before we get to some listener stuff, or do you guys feel like we're ready? Oh, you know what? No, I've got a couple things. Uh, one of my favorite, or a couple of my favorite uh, elvish words and terms come into play in these um, in these chapters. So let's see. In that, in chapter 18, we have um, Ardgalen, which is that kind of lush green plain around the lake. That's that's where they set up camp when they first got to back to Middle Earth and uh, started the siege of Angband. Um, but now its name was changed. So let's see. Ardgallon perished and fire devoured its grasses and it became a burned and desolate waste full of full of a choking dust, barren and lifeless. Thereafter, its name was changed and it was called Anfauglith, the gasping dust. Love it. Just And I, I just love the sound of that word, Anfauglith. Uh, that's a good one. Let's see. Did I... I, I, oh, that's right. And then there's uh, there's another one. Uh, this is a Lord of the Rings reference. Um, I know you guys read the Lord of the Rings very, very closely and just you know paid attention to every single word. So, so I apologize for preaching to the choir here. I'm kidding, of course. Uh, but Grand, do you remember where Grand comes into play in the Lord of the Rings? Is it Grand the? The battering ram. Hey, very nice. Minas Tirith. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's in the movies as well. Right. Uh, in I, did they put it in the theatrical? I think it's in the theatrical version, but maybe not. I don't know. Um, but at least in the extended version, yeah, the battering ram that they mm-hmm. used to open the gates of Minas Tirith. Uh, they the orcs named it Grond after the hammer of Morgoth, mm. and so now we get the hammer of Morgoth. Uh, there's the fight scene, which we should talk about the fight scene between Morgoth and Fingolfin. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has, let's see, then Morgoth hurled aloft Grond, the hammer of the underworld. Fantastic. Dang it. That yeah. is the most metal thing I've ever heard in my <laughs> yeah. entire life. 100%. So. Also, that battering ram is super metal as well. <laughs> Very metal. <laughs> Very much. Um, all right. I think, I think that's about... Oh, uh, okay, last thing that I will bring up is the description that we get of Sauron in chapter 18. Again, very, very metal. There's a reason that metal bands all over the world turn to Tolkien and, you know, for inspiration, because you get passages like this. Sauron, 
was now become or sorry <clears throat> Sauron was become now a sorcerer of dreadful power master of shadows and of phantoms foul in wisdom cruel in strength misshaping what he touched twisting what he ruled lord of werewolves his dominion was torment are you freaking kidding me who writes this this is yeah. amazing that is the greatest character description of all time and i don't know and don't care what he looks like <laughs> like I, the, I get an image from that in my head like i wouldn't get if you told me exactly you know and then harry potter had his round spectacles and he had hair that did this and the lightning bolt scar like you know mm -hmm. and i'm not saying that's a bad description i'm just saying this is more evocative to me there's, than just about any character description i can ever remember reading there's very much uh it is more inclined to pull you into uh an emotional state of re response rather than a logical like this is what you know the, the key elements what you look like so, right right like if i looked at torment what would it look like Oh man, sorry. I my mind went okay, to Okay, what now? My mind went to, What now, you know, Kyle? You know how there's I'm going to get shit for this. So, uh sorry, I just Sorry, uh uh Elliot, I just said a bad word. Uh there's that saying that gets used really often, the uh nevertheless she persisted. <laughs> sure. And now I'm just thinking like his dominion was torment. Is <laughs> now the new one. <laughs> That I'm going to use all the time Fantastic. in my life. His dominion was torment. <laughs> it's uh, it, it does. It, it's a, that last bit is such a great line and it breaks two of the rules of such lines. One is go for monosyllables. Mm -hmm. Well, no, you have dominion and torment, uh, but they're also non Germanic words. So you've got, uh, you know, Latinate words that generally don't work as well in a passage like this. Boy, do they yeah. work so right I there. defy you to find words that work better than this. <laughs> His dominion yeah. was torment. So good. So good. I need okay. that. I need I didn't that t-shirt. I didn't know at the time that werewolves were, a th I guess, the thing. like In Middle Earth. In Middle Earth. Right. Or are do werewolves, are were werewolves the same as what we consider in, in our modern you know right. horror films type thing right are these lichens no yeah no i just big wolves so no because they're not transfer it's not people transforming into werewolves well, it is but it's not like humans transforming into werewolves necessarily or into wolves where mm. you know where i mean it, something along the lines of change um or no is it is it where man i think werewolf man wolf that's what it is yeah. um and so but but Sauron is a shapeshifter. Um, we have other shapeshifters. We have Bayorn in mm -hmm. The Hobbit. Mm -hmm. um, he's a werebear. Um, but okay. he's also not a human. And so it's it's not the same thing. No, it's not the whole like, oh, and if you get bitten, better find yourself some silver bullets. Like, it's not that. But yeah. but yeah, sure. Werewolves. And doesn't he have an island of werewolves <clears throat> that yes. no one can possibly, that no one has ever cross your tread like yeah Tol Sirion is this island um in the the river Sirion is a, it, it kind of traverses north to south the whole of of uh, Beleriand and it's just to the west of uh of Angband um and the, the realm of Morgoth and that's where the original Minas Tirith is which we know means Tower of Guard mm -hmm. from the Lord of the Rings uh so that's the original Minas Tirith and it was there uh, and Sauron took it over, uh, corrupted it, and it was renamed, yeah, the Isle of Werewolves. 
Got it. So also fairly metal. <laughs> so, there we go. Yeah, we're getting we're and just wait, you guys, till we get to I think it's chapter twenty. Uh the the Battle of Unnumbered Tears. <laughs> I want that spin-off, just the island of werewolves. I just right. want to go there and see what goes down. <laughs> um I have one other question with because okay. uh, I, I want to know if it's Sauron or not, but there was a there's a sequence where the human humans humans are talking the men men are talking about uh, that there are no gods or whatever. But then it says later on that the person who said that claims to have not said that. Right. Was that Sauron in alternate form Either, planting a seed of evil? Right. Either him or Morgoth. Okay. Um, or as Kyle would call it, a bubble of evil. Right. Bubble, uh, yes, yes, bubble. Yes. See, you were just, I just w- went back to our earlier conversation about Sauron shape-shifting, planting seeds of evil. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> Wow. wow sorry okay all right <laughs> i did enjoy the uh discord discussion afterwards like the can't believe that's where they took it yeah, but, oh yeah no that's uh the legendary you never know what is gonna happen here except you kind of do yeah uh, okay so what was the what was the question oh yeah it was either morgoth or sauron shifting into yeah into that it, form it was just it's one of those things that is never explicitly stated so i wanted to just like i feel right. like it's something i'm supposed to catch and I want to make sure I did if I did. Yeah, I think you did. Okay. I think you got it. Yeah. Um, all right. So here's one from Deepolt. Okay. So we're going to some Discord questions. Deepolt asks about Ale. Can we assume what he did with Arthel was different from what Melian did with Thingol? I still feel like the latter could be taken the wrong way without additional explanation. So do you guys recall the story? Of Thingle and Melian. I remember them staring at each other for a long time. Like exactly. They, yep. they, got, they just got stuck and it's just time passed and they were both just caught in this looking at each other right. moment. So Right. Yep. And that's that's about it. So that was uh, essentially the story. He comes across her in the woods. They stand still for hundreds of years, presumably, <laughs> while other things are going on around them. And then they emerge from the woods, uh, you know, madly in love and they start their kingdom forever and ever. Um, so yeah, so the question here from Deepold is, uh, can we assume what, what Ale did with Arathel was different from what Melian did with Thingol? Yeah. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Cause Melian did not. So she was wandering the woods when I think it was, uh, was he Olway at that point or Elway? I can't, I can't remember. Um, he comes across her and falls under a spell, but it's not like she was casting a net. Uh, waiting to ensnare some poor elf lord who wandered through mm-hmm. her woods. That's not how it was. But with Ale, he did do something like that. He did, um, you know, talks about spells. We don't know quite how, you know, magic like this would work. It's probably more practical than magical. Um, but, you know, he found some way to uh, to kind of um, funnel her toward his home right mm-hmm. so he tricked her into like oh these dark scary woods and and i love the description of uh of his woods with the gnarled roots that dig like claws into the earth and the the black trunks and the you know sunlight never reaches there all that stuff great and so she's in these terrifying woods and he directs her path to get to his house and oh i'm so grateful to find you know an, an elf lord of your stature um Thank you so much for saving me. Yes, I will marry you. Oh, great. You know, so you're it, just it's, strengthening my Beauty and the Beast case. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just. Uh, so, yeah, no, Ale, bad. 
Thingle, Melian. I mean, in that instance, just fine. Not, fine. Nothing to see here except each other. So. Uh, but no, it's a good question. Good question. All right. <clears throat> uh, Meg. Uh, of previous Meg fame, asks, with Myglin wanting Idril, his cousin, he's pretty specific. Tolkien is pretty specific that incest is not a thing that is done there, and none of them have ever desired that type of thing before. This kind of suggests the, desi- the desire is a thing inherited from his dad's quote-unquote dark elf side. Do we know the family tree of Ale? He just seems to pop up out of nowhere. Okay, so we talked a little bit about the origin of Ale uh, mm-hmm. being of the household of Thingol. We don't know what it means that he's kin. Maybe he's like Thingol's cousin or something. I don't know. Nephew, whatever. Um, but but the so why why is Maeglin uh, prone to this bout of incestuous attraction? Um, do you guys... I mean, I can just spit an answer at you, but if you had any thoughts on this, you're welcome to share. The Elvish heart wants what the Elvish heart wants. I mean, that's... (laughs) Did you guys ever... um, I remember when I was a little kid, I mean, little kid, like six years old, I was in love with one of my cousins. She was like 10 years older than me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just thought she was so cute. And like, I want to marry Marsha. That was literally... Yes, her name was Marsha. And so like, yeah, when I was six, sure. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean... Maglin's dad did try to kill him. That's got to mess you up a little bit, right? Right. But he he did kind of... Uh, he was hearing these stories about um, Gondolin from his mother when they were still in Nanelmoth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when they were still in those woods uh, in Ail's household. And so she's feeding him all these stories. And he's already... He's like, oh, my cousin sounds like quite the catch. So before they ever even got there, mm-hmm. he he definitely had this thing. And there's actually a mention in the text that this was the fruit of the um, the curse of Mandos um, and the kins. Well, no, this wasn't the kinsling. But anyway, basically something about, uh, about the curse of Mandos put this darkness into Maeglin's heart. And yeah, I don't, I don't really understand how it all works. Uh, but yeah, I mean... After a while, you you got to expect something like this to happen, right? Can't kiss your cousin, man. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's, yeah, and it's, we're, we're going to get a lot more, a lot more incest to come. Uh, I shouldn't say a lot more in quantity, but a lot more in quality of incest. I'm really <laughs> excited for the scale of. <laughs> Welcome to the Legendarium, <laughs> where we, quality incest. <laughs> What I mean to say is just that uh, this is, a, you know, kissing cousins, that's incest light. We're going incest heavy in uh, a, a couple chapters. So prepare yourselves. Uh, all right. So let's move on to another question. This one from DFEO. Uh I'm getting a bit confused about all the gray, green, dark elves. Any other colors I missed? Who's who with the color of choice elves? Uh Tolkien does not do us any favors by calling uh, Ael the Dark Elf because it's very confusing. There's even, there's reference to uh, in the Coming of Men in that chapter 17 that they had mingled a little bit with the Dark Elves of Middle-Earth before they came to um, Beleriand and, and met the Noldor and the Sindar. Okay, so 
So we have Dark Elves in the East, and then we have the Dark Elf, Ale, and that, so in the former case, the Dark Elves are the people who never answered the call to come to the Blessed Realm in the beginning of the book. And so they, they rejected the call to come to the light. Therefore, they are the Dark Elves. You have the Light Elves. Those are the three houses that did go. So, you know, we had the Vanyar, the Noldor, and the uh, Teleri. Uh, boy, I'm, I'm getting all these right. <laughs> um, and so those are the Light Elves because they did make it to the Blessed Realm. They did live under the light of the trees of Valinor. Uh, they, they lived with the gods. And then you have the Grey Elves who were kind of the in-betweeners, the ones who answered the call but never made it all the way there. Um, and then you have the green elves. Uh, they would be, uh, gosh, I'm now forgive me. I'm flying off the, I'm, I'm off the cuff here. I, I think I'm right that these are like gray elves that didn't make it as far west. So they answered the call, but they didn't make it very far before they settled kind of around the blue mountains um, and, and moved. Some of them moved south, and you know, woods dwellers primarily. So green elves. Anyway, so yeah, it's it is confusing. I hope that helps, and I hope I got the green elves right. Somebody will tell me if I didn't. And, and which is it that makes the fudge-filled cookies? <laughs> Those are the Keebler oh, elves. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Keebler, Keebler. We're all confused. They okay. were in the tree in Valinor. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes. Excellent. Um, all right. So. I do appreciate that walkthrough, though, Craig, because they it is very hard to keep it all straight. And I did. I appreciate the question because I did have a question around the dark elf versus. Dark elves. Dark elves. Yeah. So that's yeah. Oh, yeah. I never even got back to Ale. He's the dark elf because he lives in Nan Elmoth and rejects the sun. You know, he does not want anything to do with the sun. He even forbids his household from ever going out into the sun. He's an odd duck. And actually, it, he's he's a great character, I think, because he's so weird. There's, I think up to this point, um, if you're an elf, you're an elf. And yeah, sometimes they have personalities. Uh, you know, Feanor had a personality. Thingol has a personality. But for the most part, these are a bunch of, you know, tall, fair, wise, uh, hardy, whatever. Like, they, their elves are often interchangeable in, in this story, it feels like. Uh, but then you do get some characters, and Ale is quite the character. And so I, I, I like that about him. I, I like reading his stuff. He's definitely interesting. Yeah. Like, not a good guy, but as we were reading, as I was reading through chapter 16, I was like, oh, this is, this is like really, he's a very, very intriguing character. And he's got a lot of different qualities that are fun to read about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Should we get to Elliot's question for this week? Of course. Yeah. All right. So Elliot, uh, our famed 10 year old listener, he's the new Jafu, by the way, except he's nobody's nemesis. He should be a nemesis. Elliot, your next question needs to be uh, kind of subtly uh, passive aggressive toward one of us so that we can make you uh, a nemesis of some kind. (laughs) All right. So Elliot's question for this section. um, Why did Melkor start so many wars uh, like the fourth war? One molehill becomes a mountain. I'm not sure quite how to interpret all of this, but but we can go with why 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 did Melkor start so many wars? Uh, I actually think I have an answer for this. Believe okay. it or not, uh, he's impatient and his hatred is incredibly strong because that's why he went on the fourth war too soon. Oh man, wasn't that a great passage? Yeah, he was like if if he had waited a little bit longer, he would have wiped the Noldor out. 
And I think that's the thing is he gets to the point where it's like, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. Go! Go! Kill, kill, go, go! And <laughs> Wow, okay. I'm sorry to everybody who didn't get that on YouTube. Uh, but that's... Wow. Yeah, I, th- I think that's just his his lack of patience when it comes to that sort of thing and his hatred of these of everyone around him drives him to just try and start conflict as before he sh- is actually ready for it. Yeah. You know, it's um it's a great question. I'm not I don't know that I have the answer for why I mean, we kind of like you said, Melkor is a very angry guy. He's been angry since the very beginning of the book. Uh, you know, feels he's been wronged and all that stuff. Um it's fascinating I mean, you can go back through all sorts of history, but just go through, you know, World War One and World War Two, and look at the reasons for those wars. Why did the wars get started? Why were people fighting? Um, and now we have the war in Ukraine. And I don't, I don't think any of us have the information yet to know why did Putin start this war? There's, you know, all sorts yeah. of very good educated guesses. And, you know, I have my own. But it'll be very interesting when the history books finally get a hold of this stuff and, and we get something akin to an answer. Of why did he do this? Uh, and oftentimes it feels like the answer just comes down to because he's crazy. Because he's crazy and he's in charge. Right. And so Morgoth is crazy and he's in charge. And so he wants to wipe everybody out. So, But on the other hand, a lot of these sons of Feanor kind of crazy too driven by their oath they they're a little bit crazy and like it's it's crazy to wage war on a god so Mm -hmm. you'd have to be a little crazy anyway yeah i don't know but it's a good question and one that you know elliot i hope you read a lot of history books and i also think that stuff out it just goes back to the very beginning where he wants dominion over everything he wants to be wants to be in charge he wants to be in charge and he wants ultimate uh the ultimate ability to create, right? Because isn't that the one thing that he can't do is actually right. create? Mm-hmm. And I think until that, even though it's futile, he's, he's never going to be able to get to that point. But until he does, he will continue to destroy until, like, he wants dominion over everything. So it does, like, I think the question was, why does he keep starting wars, right? Because the first, his first conflict was never solved. Right. He's still fighting. He's still fighting. His original fight. Yeah. In his mind, he's still going to that original that original purpose. And whether it, you know, we see it as different wars over time and, and different peoples and whatever, but it is still just that same central conflict. And it will never be done because what he's trying to achieve cannot be achieved, at least within the box that we understand it. Right. Right. Uh, okay, let's go on to some other ones here. Uh, what's the one I was... Oh, yeah, this one from Felicity, who asks, Do you believe Fingolfin proved his kingliness in this chapter for his heroics against Morgoth, or should he have stayed with his people and led them for longer rather than dying? I love this question. So, first of all, we should set this up. And what happens with Fingolfin? So, in chapter 18, uh, Morgoth, he, he shoots a shot little prematurely and uh, wages war and it mostly goes well for him but not entirely he doesn't achieve all of his aims uh but it does look for a while there like all is lost and there because all is lost there's nothing left to lose and so fingolfin he decides he's going to go 
fight mano a mano or elfo uh, whatever uh, <laughs> against Morgoth. I'm sorry for that one. Um, so he, he rides his horse uh, all the way up to the gates of Angband, bangs on the doors and shouts at Morgoth to come out and fight him. And he does. And it's epic. I love that passage. It's a lot of people's favorite passage. Uh, you know, this this fight between Fingolfin and Morgoth. And it's easy to see why. It's really, really fun to read. And so Morgoth is giant. He he comes at him like a mountain, I think it says, or like a, like a hill. Mm. And he's clad all in black armor. He has a giant black shield. And Fingolfin is this, uh, he's clad in white and has a blue bejeweled shield he's this bright thing against the darkness of morgoth um and he is so morgoth is trying to smash him with grand hammer of the underworld so good uh but he keeps missing because fingolfin is too fast and every time he swings fingolfin gets a, a hit off and so he's slicing up presumably morgoth's legs at this point we don't know um but you know he's awfully tall at this point so he's probably slicing up his legs and Morgoth is screaming in pain every time he gets hit and all the orcs and everybody around is like, what is going on? They're all freaked out. The boss is getting wrecked. Uh, but eventually he is uh, one of the Valar though. So yeah, you're not going to overcome him. This is literally a suicide mission. And Morgoth finally pins him against the ground. Um, and as he does so, as he's crushing Fingolfin under his foot, Fingolfin gets off one last stab in Morgoth's foot and permanently lames him in that foot, so he has a limp forever. Uh, such a, such a good passage. Okay, so but then he does die. Uh, okay, so the question here from Felicity was that like basically was that a good idea? Should he have martyred himself in this way, or should he have uh, led his people and stayed alive uh, for their sake? What do you guys think? What was the outcome? Have we read it yet? Uh, so like, maybe I'm I'm the long term outcome of like, or just yeah, like what like him going in and fighting Mor Morgoth was that to achieve like his people getting away <coughs> or getting to safety that or something like sneeze. that. Oh, know, sorry. Um, or was it simply no? He he just left and went to fight him. Yeah, he just left and went to fight him. Yeah, mm. he, he he kind of thought things are looking bleak so yeah because i'm trying to i'm trying to reconcile it with the captain goes down with the ship situation where mm -hmm. you know what i mean like captain will go down with the ship to save all the women and children and whatever but that wasn't necessarily the case here well yeah it, yeah i think it was more it, or, it was revenge or i revenge is the probably the wrong word i know it's a fine distinction but vengeance versus revenge sure. right it's uh if there's a distinction, it's a fine one, but it's that like Feanor sought revenge. Mm -hmm. Fingolfin is out for vengeance. Right. Uh, no, that makes sense. And I would, I would, I would ask, I guess in the laming of Morgoth, does that deter them from like, does that end the war essentially? Does it deter them from continuing to attack the, his people? There were other things that ended the war that Fingolfin didn't know about. Okay. Uh, but you know, I, so I, I don't think he was doing it to be a martyr. I don't think sure. he was doing it in order to rally the people, but I think it, I'm sure it had that effect. Right. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Should he have, you know, in hindsight, should he have gone? Uh, I don't know. I, it, it, it's really hard to say 
this one life is worth X, right? right. That's, that is a difficult question to ever try to ask or answer. Uh, but is it worth it that, that Fingolfin did uh, lame Morgoth? Mm-hmm. That he did get off, uh, you know, a lot of uh, of blows against Morgoth, where the you know it's uh, now I want Ben Affleck to come and say, "Do you bleed?" You know, he also he, like, so he has yeah. shown that there is even if even if you can't uh, kill him, right? There is something to the idea of overcoming this. Yeah, and there's being. and there's definitely something to the representation of he was not afraid to go toe to toe with him. Right, you know what I mean. So like. To your point about like he can be harmed or injured or whatever, but like representing to his people as the king, you like as the king, I'm not afraid to go and and face him and we should all be able to stand up to this evil basically. Right. So I don't know that that's the intention, but I do think that that's kind of the message that it sends. Um, So as far as. What was the? How was it phrased? Does he represent represent himself as a like kingliness or whatever it was that was in the question? Yeah. Uh, sorry. Uh, do Do you believe Fingolf improved his kingliness? Yeah. Yeah. I'd say yeah. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. It's a difficult thing. What What is more important to be a symbol or to lead rule. to rule? rule. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, uh, it, it, it's a good question, and I think reasonable people could come to different conclusions. But in this case, it, had he made the decision not to go, obviously it wouldn't really have been part of the story. But uh, but if it was, and it, you know, he was considering going, and he decided not to, and stayed with his people, I think we would similar be similarly be saying, hey, you know, I could see it. That's yeah. good, good decision. Yeah, was it wisdom or cowardice to stay behind? Because you could go either way, right? And what is again? What is the lasting impression and message that it sends his you know whichever action he takes you could you could justify it kind of probably either way yeah um um okay so here's another one from lady sweden who says another name bomb in chapter 17 i expect craig will tell us to mark the page and yes i will (laughs) so everybody open your books to chapter 17 it's actually uh, one of the last paragraphs. Let's see, one, two, three, fourth from the last uh, paragraph in chapter 17. Um, I, you know what? Okay, I'm just going to read this to you guys uh, because it's so ridiculously chock full of names. Uh, the sons of Hador were Galdor and Gundor, and the sons of Galdor were Hurin and Huor. And the sons of Hurin was Turin, or the son of Hurin was Turin, the bane of Glaurung. And the son of Huor was Tuor, father of Erendil, the blessed. The son of Boromir was Bregor, whose sons were Bregolas and Barahir. And the sons of Bregolas were Baragund and Belagund. The daughter of Baragund was Morwen, the, the mother of Turin. And the daughter of Belagund was Rian, the mother of Tuor. But the son of Barahir was Baron Onehand, who won the love of Luthien Thingol's daughter and returned from the dead. From them came Elwing, the wife of Erendil, and all the kings of Numenor after. Oof. Okay, that's a whole lot of genealogy. But, highlighted anyway. Uh, is one of those ones you should have, uh, you know, I, I have these little sticky notes on my, the, you know those little markers, page markers? Uh, stick one of those on that page, highlight that paragraph, just so you can remember 
and, and it's all in the family tree in the back, you know, but it's kind of similar to those other ones. This is a great prose version that you can come back to and say, wait, who was the daughter of what the the cousin of this person who was, you know, probably married that cousin? I don't know. I remember uh, Turin and Baron already out of that crew. Like, the, we're right. Gonna hear some of their, so they, we're going to come back to this at some point. Exactly. Yeah. The, so just like in the the earlier paragraph in the earlier chapter where it's like this is these are all the sons of feanor and uh, you know a few of their characteristics that you might want to remember uh, it kind of lays out the houses um this does the same thing for the houses of men and similarly we're going to have uh, th- this is a chronicle of the elves in the first age and so uh so humans don't play the same kind of role but there are a few who do uh, who mingle with the elves and and uh, and play a huge role in their story, and all those names are right there in that paragraph. And this gives you a good reference point to who's related to who. Um, and you guys are going to love. Uh, I think I think Hurin fan on Discord this time wrote something like, "Man, I love Hurin." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, <laughs> take it easy on the self love there, buddy. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no. So you get Hurin, Hurin, who are Turin, uh, Barahir is a big one. Baron is a big one. Yeah. So did we get a spoiler in there? Yeah. Yep. Yep. There's been. That's the thing about this book is uh, because this this is a collection of stories. Mm-hmm. The assumption as you're reading this, and I, this is one of the things I love about the Silmarillion. Even the first time I read it, when I was what, 17, 16, 17 years old, one of the things I love about it is that it assumes you know all this stuff. It's just making sure that these stories are down in writing you know um it's written in such a way or at least it's edited and compiled in such a way here that it assumes that you know the story of baron and luthien already and you might not it assumes that you know when it says that turin's name is uh turin the the bane of glaurum yeah that's what i was referring to the bane of glaurum wait what you know, if you haven't read it before, you wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Glaurung mm-hmm. is super scary. He just laid waste to a whole uh, section of of uh, Beleriand. So anyway, yeah, you get those tidbits. I like it. Mm-hmm. I could see if this was a, a traditionally structured novel, that would be very frustrating. Right. You know, let me get there. But this isn't. Uh, and I, I like those little tidbits that I think make you want to read a little more. Yeah, I was going to say, because even, I mean... You know my philosophy on spoilers already, but even just hearing that, it's like, oh, there's a story about Glaurung going down. I want to go read that. Go find that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, all right. Last one. I'm going to, yeah, we're, we've run a little bit long already. Um, I'm sure everybody will hate us for it. Right? Uh, Lady Sweden. I'm going to end on this one from Lady Sweden. We've gotten a few from her, so well done, Lady Sweden, on this one. Um, question. Oh, she first she said, so many of the sub-stories in this section would have been great to have told more extensively. If you could have one of these sub-stories in the assigned reading told more extensively, which one would you pick? So we kind of, let's see, what do we got? We've got uh, Aeol and Ardell. So the, the, Maglin, the Maglin chapter, I keep mispronouncing his name. Uh, what else do we got? We've got the battle uh, that's kind of sketched out. The The battle is, except for that first description of the volcanic eruption, most of the battle is very 30,000 foot view, right? Mm-hmm. Orcs were ravaging this part of the country and then this group had to flee to this part and whatever. Um, so that's very 30,000 foot view. 
We have the coming of the men of men into the West. And that might be my choice, honestly. I, I want to hear more about the origins of the, you know, the, the awakening of humans in the East of Middle Earth. Um, I'm sure that that was intentionally left vague to leave room for it because he did not want to step on the toes of his, uh, you know, Catholic theology. Um, and so he probably deliberately left that part vague so that you could very easily fit in a Garden of Eden into his origin story for men, but didn't want to put that in his actual book. Um, but you don't have to go that way. You can have other headcanon. Uh, you know, and I, 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 and I like the idea of these nomadic tribes kind of going through the same kind of thing the elves did with uh, the terror of Morgoth. I think there's there's some stuff there. Yeah. The more I think about the... My initial uh, feeling was uh, getting into the Morgoth and uh, Fingolf. The Morgoth and Fingolf and battle. battle. Like that sequence. Of, like, but the more I think about it and the more I think about the uh, Myglin chapter, things like that, is that there is enough detail in that already that it's you wouldn't gain a whole lot of new perspective, I think, right. adding to that. Whereas the having the men come out and there's more story to be told and more information to be gained by doing that than there is in giving more detail to, you know, exactly how it is that he dodged, you know, <laughs> right. the hammer of the underworld and things yeah. like that. So. Uh, yeah. The Battle of Fingolfin and Morgoth as told by some modern fantasy writer. Yeah. Right. Like Brent Weeks doing... <laughs> doing Fingolfin versus Morgoth would be a very different scene. Mm-hmm. Then the Hammer of the Underworld would have a voice and we'd be getting POV chapters from him. And- <laughs> that's right, that's right. Kyle, any thoughts? I already said it. I want the Island of Werewolves. Oh, that's right. I just yeah. want to know what's going on on that island full of werewolves. There you go. And you know, it's, Or it's, even just deeper dive into the whole concept of werewolves within Middle-earth. So, yeah, somebody like, else did they, have what that. Is the, what is the mythology there? I want to say it was it no. was it Deepholt uh, <laughs> said something along the lines. Uh, oh yeah, Sauron finally does something and is called Lord of the Werewolves. We shall see a vampire soon too. That's true. Uh, so vampires and werewolves exist in Middle Earth. Why is this not discussed more? <laughs> <laughs> true. It's, a, it's a fun way to put it, but ultimately, it's I think it's because vampires and werewolves are not the same thing in Middle Earth as they are in our own folk mythology. So. But that would be where I would spend my time. What are they then? Yeah. Yeah, yeah there's probably some note somewhere that I've read and forgotten. Mm-hmm. And anything with Sauron would be a interesting He's place to go. He's such a cool character. Yeah, yeah give me like a give oh. me an eight episode mini series just on Sauron and like just give it to me. You may just get one, Kyle. All right. Yeah. <laughs> it's called Amazon's The Rings, Rings of, of Power. Power. So. We'll see how that goes. I I remain cautiously optimistic. And on that note, let's go ahead and end for today. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Ryan, Kyle, thanks for coming in and uh, and for reading and commenting. I hope people enjoy it. If if you do, please go to thelegendarium.com, subscribe to the show, go do all the things, uh, join us on Patreon. It would be wonderful if you did so we really appreciate the support uh when you go to the legendarium.com i can't believe i forgot to say this at the beginning but make sure you click on the button up at the top that says legendarium con i don't know why we're calling that because that's way too grandiose for what's going on but many of us will be meeting in portland at the end of may Uh, i think may 28th is the official date 
uh, and a, you know, a day before and after probably will be out there. So at Portland, Oregon, May 28th, would love to see you there. Uh, so if you're in the area or can get to the area, please consider joining us for a riotously good fun time in Portland. All right, guys, you good? See you good. next time. Yes. <laughs> Ryan. <laughs> All right, I'm out of here. This is dumb. <laughs>